0: This, uh, this morning is, is bittersweet as we turn to God's Word together again, uh, because it's the last sermon, last week that we'll spend unpacking the wisdom literature together. We've been doing this for like 10 months now, at least 10 months, and uh, I hope it's been useful to you. I, I, I know it has been to me, um, and I'm a little sad to see it end, to be honest. Today we finish up the book of James, which was a, a, the best example in the New Testament, of this kind of literature that is more common in the Old Testament called wisdom. Uh, wisdom literature is, is literature that's meant to help us understand how to live well in the world as it is. And today we want to put a, a bow on James, if you will, and also use these last couple of verses as a chance to walk a little bit down memory lane and think back over what we've covered through the whole series uh, dating back to the early this year. Uh, so, so that's what's on tap for this morning. I'll also say quickly before we get into it that uh, starting next week, we, we will be celebrating Advent and Christmas together. It's one of our favorite times of year at our church, and this year for the next three Sundays, starting next week, we're going to be looking at the Psalms to get ready for Jesus. The Psalms are a book of songs sung by Israel about Him, and ultimately sung by Him to His Father and about the, the mission that He came to, to fulfill So the Psalms are about Jesus. We want to understand that. We want to understand how. The Psalms are often about longings. Longings for life. For healing. For light and truth in the midst of darkness and confusion. And Jesus came to fulfill those longings. So we're going to use the Psalms to unpack those longings and get in better touch with them in ourselves. So that we can see how Jesus came to fulfill them and celebrate him fully uh, together during this season. So that starts next week. Hopefully, you can be part of it with us. We're also going to be singing lots of Christmas songs, right? Which you guys love. I know that. Um, today, though, we finished James. I want to remind you that this, what we've been saying about wisdom all along is that it's, wisdom in the Bible is, is about how to live a good life, it's about how to cope with reality. It's, about, it's, it's, it's a skill for living well in the world as it is, not as we wish it was. So wisdom is not a set of facts that we master. One analogy we've used before, I'll, I'll just use it again, um, since I'm not going to get a chance to do it for a while, this being the last Wisdom Series sermon. Uh, wisdom is uh, it's not like a set of facts to be mastered. In that sense, it's not like the tests that you take when you want to get your driver's permit in Alabama where I grew up that was when you were 15 years old so you'd get a little manual provided by the state with the master facts needed to, needed by all competent drivers and you would memorize them and you know the, the the range of questions you could be asked on your test was pretty limited and it would be multiple choice the, the facts just had to be there so that when that question came you'd know what to put down wisdom is not like that you could memorize every proverb in the book of Proverbs, and be a fool. Wisdom is a skill. It's an instinct for knowing how to navigate life as it comes. So wisdom is a lot more like what you need for your license exam. Not for the permit, but for the license. So the one that I took, you had to actually drive with someone who was monitoring you. So you had to make decisions on the spot about whether to take that left turn in front of oncoming traffic. About whether to accelerate through the yellow or to stop at the yellow about you know, whether 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 it was wise to you know take the the hill that had ice on it can you make it up that hill or not about how hard to cut your wheel doing that parallel park in those situations you need wisdom and most of our life fits that pattern not the one where we need a set of facts that we can recall on command This whole series, this whole year, we've been trying to build up that instinct in each other through our time in the Word. And James, I believe, helps us to put the right point on the series as we come to the end of it. Because what James does in these last two verses is give a set of marching orders to all of us, not just to seek wisdom for ourselves. He's not looking to create a bunch of people who really know how to live well on their own. He's looking, and all of wisdom looks, to create a community of people who seek wisdom together, who want wisdom for each other, and who know that they won't, that none of them will really ever get there unless they pursue it together. So we're going to look at the last couple of verses of James as a a final call to all of us to grow wise together. Wisdom is always a project for community. The last two verses here, uh, James 5, 19 and 20. James, James ends his letter by basically encouraging his friends to do for each other what he's just done for them by writing this letter. What we've said throughout James, if you've been here through the series, you've known... There's been a ton of warnings in here. James is always picking up on something they were doing that was out of step with true things about God and what he's done in Jesus and trying to help them see you're not living true. You're living false. Back over here, back over here, this way. James has been doing that through the whole letter. And now at the end of the letter, he's saying you don't, this letter is not comprehensive. This letter is not a set of facts to be mastered that will give you everything you need to know for everything that's coming for you in your life. This letter is about trying to help you get the right instincts. So now go after each other and do for each other what I've just done for you here. So I want to read, I want to read the two verses. I want to walk you through the problem that James sets up in these two verses. Walk you through what he points to as the solution to the problem. And then help you to recognize, to put a point on this series, the stakes in this situation. The significance of the situation. So first the problem, then the solution, then the stakes of it. I want to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word while I read from the last two verses of James chapter 5. This is God's Word. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's word. You can be seated. I want to first point you to the problem that James sets up. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Somebody's wandering from the truth. Somebody's wandering from the truth. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. And it could be what he's talking about is that somebody's starting not to believe or to affirm true things about God or about Jesus. That happens sometimes. We start to doubt the claims of the Bible, whether we can trust them. But... James hasn't been interested so much in that sort of stuff through this letter. James is not writing this letter to help us get a clearer picture of of theological claims about Jesus and who he is. There's lots of beautiful material on that in the Bible that James is not playing that role for us. James has always been much more interested, not with what his friends are affirming with their minds and with their mouths, but with what they did with their lives. So the truth from which this person is wandering, if we understand that in light of James and what he's been saying all along, the truth from which someone is wandering is a true life. Wisdom has always been about trying to help us live true lives. Lives that are Built in light of the way the world really is. Who God really is. What God has really done in Jesus. And what God has really asked for from us. The whole book has been about helping us live lives in light of those truths. True lives. This is a person who has... Drifted into his wandering, verse 20 says. Another way to uh, translate it, and maybe your Bible has it this way, is the error of his ways. James is pointing us back to this, back to what's been his, his concern all along. Not necessarily what you think, what you say you know. But to the error or the truth, the truth or the error of your ways. So I might acknowledge, for example, that it's cold outside. It was cold this morning. And I might acknowledge that it's unpleasant to be outside in the cold without warm clothes. Those would be true things. Things that I know. But let's say that I I go outdoors on a cold morning in a Speedo. Sorry to put that image in your mind. (laughs) Let's say I go out in a speedo. In that action, in that moment, it's my life that's not true. Right? James' friends were saying they knew it was cold. They were saying they knew, of course, when it's cold, you wear warm clothes. But then they were going around in speedos. This sort of alignment between what is and how we live has been the point of all the wisdom books we've looked at. And what he's talking about here in verse 19 is what you have done and what I have done. We have known when our actions would be hurtful to other people, even people we love. We've known that that would be true. We've known when actions would be hurtful to ourselves, too. Maybe we've even known when our actions would be offensive to God and would bring His wrath. We've known true things and then gone on and done the actions anyway. And in those cases, it's our lives that aren't true. It's our lives that have wandered from what's real. And in those cases, we've become fools. Now, before we move on to the solution, that's the problem James is identifying. Someone's wandered from the truth. Before we move to the solution, I want you to notice something about what he says here. He intentionally leaves it ambiguous and open-ended. If anyone wanders from the truth, and the reason he writes it that way, is that this wanderer could be any of us. There is no one of us beyond the possibility of wandering. It is dangerous to assume that anyone is okay just because they look okay on the outside. It's even more dangerous for you to feel like you're okay, to assume that you're okay because things feel that way now. Everyone is at risk for this problem that James has put on our radar. Every one of us can live a life that wanders from the truth. With that in place, let's move into the solution. James has put the problem in front of us. Somebody's wandering from the truth. Then he then he points us towards a solution. Someone brings him back. Someone brings him back. It's that simple. the point about the problem is that everyone is at risk, the thing to notice about this solution is that everyone is responsible. It's just as open-ended. If anyone wanders, if someone brings him back, anyone brings him back, anyone. He doesn't say if the apostles bring him back, if you happen to get a letter from, say, the brother of Jesus, or... If the elders of your church call you out on something and bring you back. No, no, he says, someone. And what he means there is that it's on you. On every one of you. Now surely, surely God's grace is involved every time someone comes back. The whole Bible makes that clear. No one fixes themselves and no one fixes anyone else. God's grace does that. But James is emphasizing our role, our responsibility. And what he's telling us is this wanderers turn back. Wanderers leave the errors of their ways when one of you pursues them. Not just the professionals, not just the elders but anyone who's aware so net friends here it is never assume it's someone else's job to give others care to bring others back to help others see i think what else is implied here is that we're not we cannot be afraid to befriend even to seek out wanderers no matter how far they've wandered I think what's implied here is that we are invested in each other's lives deeply enough, closely enough, paying attention enough to see each other as we are. That we're making time for each other. That we're willing to move past politeness into loving and grace-filled and direct confrontation with each other. really what it boils down to, if we're going to do, do what James is saying, if the solution is someone's wandering from the truth and someone brings them back, then what that means is we cannot love decorum or convenience more than we love people in our lives. It, it, it can be really hard for Southerners to speak directly to anyone about anything. We value politeness and civility and social order. And Christian community doesn't always look that way. And it's true that it is inconvenient and unpleasant and time-consuming to enter into the hard and ugly reality of sin and brokenness. That's always true. It's also true that not saying something, not saying a hard thing to someone who may be wandering, will make your life easier. That's true. Your life would be easier. And social settings would probably be more pleasant with a sort of veneer of respectability. But ultimately, when you don't say those hard things, you are driven by a love for yourself. Not a love for God or that person. Pursuing those who wander to bring them back is not easy work, but it is beautiful work. It's worthy work. And honestly, friends, if you want to be with Jesus this morning, it's your work. It is your work. Because anyone with Jesus knows the truth. They know that when we, like sheep, had gone astray, when we, each one of us, had turned to his own way, the Lord caused our iniquity to be placed on the shepherd who came to restore us. We, if we want to be with Jesus, know that it was when we were still enemies. That Christ died for us. We know that God and God alone made a unilateral peace treaty with us through the cross. So to be with Jesus is to be responsible for pursuing wanderers to bring them back. Every one of us is at risk. Wandering, and every one of us is responsible to bring the wanderers back. There's the problem. There's the solution. Now you need to see the stakes. That's verse 20. What's at stake here? What's at stake as we pursue wisdom, lives that line up with what's real and true? What is at stake in our pursuit of those lives together? Everything. Everything is on the line. Verse 20 says, let him know, the one who goes after the wanderer, the one who tries to bring him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That language is a little ambiguous, it doesn't... It's not immediately clear whose soul it is that's getting saved, whose sins are being covered. The context, I think, makes it clear enough that the one, who's, the one who is saved from death is the one who's brought back. The one whose multitude of sins are covered is the one who's brought back. So do you see, though, from the image of death and forgiveness on either side, what we see are the stakes. It could go either way. They don't come back. Death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death that permeates all of their life now and defines them for eternity. That's on one side. That will happen to those who wander and don't return. On the other side, life. Life that is full and free, a multitude of sins covered. That's on the line. That's possible. For someone who returns. So when we pursue each other, when we pursue each other for wisdom, everything is on the line death and life, bondage and freedom, darkness and light, shame, well deserved guilt, or full and free forgiveness. I said before that it's dangerous to assume that anybody is above the risk of being a wanderer. It's also true that it's dangerous to assume anyone is beyond forgiveness and restoration. This verse doesn't leave that possibility for us. There is no one who can't be brought back and covered over by God's grace through a friend who's willing to enter in with them with the truth. And friends. I want to say before I move on. That that means you. No matter what you've done. No matter how far you've wandered. This verse is talking about you. Jesus first. Words about his ministry. With a promise. That he. Had brought In. And would fully establish a kingdom that is fit for everyone who repents and believes in Him rather than in themselves. That promise is for you. Maybe what's kept you back is a belief that you are past saving, maybe that has actually kept you in the dark. But today is a day for light. If you recognize that whatever the light shines on in your life, whatever is exposed in you, can be covered despite its multitude by the blood of Jesus that never runs dry and that stands for sinners forever. Maybe God is using our time together this morning by his word to bring you back even now. Maybe what James is talking about is happening in your heart right now. He is bringing you back by his word. If that's what you're feeling, embrace it. God will save your soul from the death that you deserve. And he will cover the multitude of your sins. That will happen for you this morning. James has often echoed Jesus' teaching. It's something we've said over and over again throughout this letter. And it's really hard to read this verse and not think of the prodigal son. The wandering son who took all the good, all the beautiful things that his father had provided for him and squandered them on a life of pleasure that left him sharing food with pigs getting exactly what he deserved in that moment. His decisions, his foolishness and rebellion were exposed. But he thought he would give it one last try. With no reason to hope that his father would ever take him back With every reason to hope he'd get just the opposite. The son who got what he deserved went home to his father. His father sees him coming down the road. And what he sees, what he sees is what he's wanted. What he has longed for. His beloved son coming home. If you've been wandering. You can come home. God will never turn away. Anyone who comes to him through Jesus. He will reward a life of foolishness. With grace. So James is urging us here. His last appeal in his letter to do for each other what he has done for his friends. To help each other bridge the gap from the truth that's been told to us about God in Christ to the details of our lives and our choices. He's helping us bridge the gap between the true things told to us about God and Christ, what He can do for us, and the actual daily realities we're living. James has been trying to do that. He's trying to bridge that gap in this letter and now he's telling us to bridge that gap with each other. So our friendships with each other are not casual. They can't be based... On shared interests in sports or movies or decorating or whatever else. They are lifelines. In God's providence and by His power, our friendships with each other are how we get saved. So we've got to be what one author called a community of concern. That was his summary of this passage. I love that. These two verses describe for us a community of concern for one another. A community where it's normal to give and to seek out and to receive this kind of friendship with each other. If you get nothing else out of today or even out of the series, I hope that you see that this kind of friendship is Is your responsibility as a Christian. And thanks be to God that He has not left us empty handed. Because everything we've covered in this wisdom series, every bit of it has been filling up our toolbox for helping each other seek wisdom, for bringing back wanderers from the truth. Proverbs was a book all about everything. How do you summarize a book that jumps around not just chapter to chapter, but verse to verse about all sorts of subjects under the sun? You, you summarize it by saying it's about everything. And it's about bringing everything. Everything. From the choices we make with our money, to the choices we make with our parenting, to the choices we make about our sex lives, to the choices that we make about about how we're going to pursue our careers and conduct ourselves in the opportunities that God's given us at work. Everything that makes up for life, everything is meant to be brought under the light that shines from God's truth. Everything is supposed to be driven by a fear of the Lord. That was Proverbs to us. Bring Him in on everything. So Proverbs is there to help us help each other bring God in on everything. We've got to be constantly asking each, other, asking each other and helping each other ask, what does God have to do with what I'm going through? What does God have to do with what I'm facing? What does God have to do with what I'm wanting right now? What does he have to do with this decision? The point of Proverbs is that everything matters. Everything matters. So we've got to seek out each other's input in everything. We've also got Job to fall back on. There's another tool in our toolkit. Job reminds us that we should expect to suffer, that we shouldn't expect to understand it all, but we can trust that God understands, God controls, and God works all things for the good of those that he loves. So we wander from the truth. When we doubt that suffering can be redemptive. Or at least when we assume that it can only be good if we can understand it. Did you get that? We wander. What kind of wandering from the truth is James concerned about? Well, in the light of Job, he's concerned that we not wander from the truth by believing that suffering can only be redemptive if we can understand it. We wander when we forget that we can worship and enjoy and rest in God for who He is and for what He has promised. Even when the things we would normally look to Him for have been stripped away from us. And we won't remember this when we need it most unless we're pursuing one another to keep each other from wandering, from truths that are hard to believe. We've got Ecclesiastes too. We've got that tool to remind us, to remind each other that there is nothing we can do. There's no success in our career that will ever be remembered. There is no pleasure we will ever experience that will ever be enough. There is no thing we can acquire, no amount of stuff we could buy that will ever be enough because in the end, we all die. We need to remind each other of Ecclesiastes so we can remind each other of the resurrection of Jesus. We need a resurrection because the hard things in this life are just too hard to believe that this is all there is. And the good things in this life don't last nearly long enough if this is all there is. So we got to stop acting like they might. Stop sacrificing so much to pursue them. Stop making so many foolish choices and giving up what God has called us to or disobeying what He's told us while we pursue things that are ultimately dust blowing in the wind anyway. We wander from the truth when we don't live like we're going to die. we got to help each other from, from our wandering. And God has not left us empty-handed. Thanks be to God. He has pointed us towards wisdom. And He's given each other to us for the journey. So let's pray to Him that He'll help us to use these tools well for His sake. Father, we want to be individuals with lives that glorify you and we want to be a community of concern that glorifies you and if we're going to be able to do that if we're going to be able to function like that in the real lives we're living then then we're just going to need your power power to overcome the lies that we tell about ourselves about to ourselves about the the weight of our sin and our inability to climb out from under it Lies that we live with that are told to us by the culture that if we pursue the things everyone else is pursuing then we'll find peace or happiness. Lies that we might be tempted to believe about others that there's, there are people who don't need us or people who are past saving. Protect us from these beliefs that are out of line with the truth and help us to help each other until you come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. We need you so bad. Come quickly. And help us to stay faithful till you do. Together. In Jesus' name, amen.